Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm excited to be here. How about you? Kristen, are you excited to be here? Uh, I'm Eric. I get to be the pastor here. I just want to say welcome. So glad that you are here. This is my wife, Kristen. This is her first time preaching with me on stage. Give her a hand. That's true. We're in week two of a five-week series called Relationship Goals. Uh, Our big goal and our prayer is that God would help those of you who are not married, that you would uh, work in your heart to give you the tools to be prepared to one day have a great relationship, and that for those of you who are married, that God's word is going to strengthen you, to empower you, to help you to have the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. So one of the questions is, why, other than she's my better looking half, is Kristen up here? Well, you have to go back a couple years ago. So before we started this church, we had to go through something called the church planters assessment. Basically, that's the uh, group of pastors and leaders uh, look at both Kristen and I as well as other couples. We're out in Philadelphia, and they kind of look at every aspect of your life to see, you know, are you crazy enough to start a church from scratch? Do you have the wiring? You know, is this not going to destroy your marriage? And at the end of the week, they sat down with us, and it was kind of like, well, Eric, you, you're good. We, you're, you're kind of barely passing but because you're married to Kristen, she raises your grade point average up. And so we're going we're gonna to pass you guys because we think Kristen can help you out. I'm like, thank you. Basically, I was an A plus and he was a B plus. Exactly. So she helped raise my GPA. <laughs> so Kristen uh, is essential to Mosaic. And uh, mostly she's been behind the, the scenes. Sometimes she's up here doing announcements. But I thought it'd be great this morning to help her share a little uh, wisdom this morning. Um, sometimes people get asked, you know, how did we... Meet, And that's kind of a long, complicated question, because on one hand, we've known each other for 20... Oh, my gosh. Can you do the math? 25 years? Yes. 25 years? 25 years. High five. Boom. Yeah. Anybody else (laughs) known their spouse for 25 years? Yeah. 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 Give them a hand. That's impressive. (laughs) Um, My mom was her choir teacher in fourth grade, and... But then, you know, we kind of lost track of each other, because... She's three years younger than me, no, if you know. We didn't lose track of each other. Oh. We never had track of each other. Okay, that's true. Okay, good, good point. We never I had, had track no of each interest other. in that whatsoever. That's true. <laughs> yes, we're three years apart. So I remember being, you know, 16 in a band, varsity wrestling and soccer, and she was an eighth grader. I with, had a back brace. With a back brace and, and braces. braces. Yeah, so. Super great. There was nothing going on. <laughs> then, fast forward a few years. And I went to Bible school, uh, Minneapolis, North Central (laughs) University, and that's where I graduated. So after the five-year program of uh, getting through school, I was 23, and if you don't know this about Bible school, they kind of promise you like a ring by spring or your money back, Uh, because most pastors don't want to be single when, when they're pastoring. And so I graduated at 23, after five years, I was single, and I was like, oh, no. How am I ever going to meet someone? Like, because I'm out of Bible school now. And so I started looking, and God kept saying, no, no, no. There was no one uh, for me, uh, no one around. And then my... It was not for lack of trying that he was single. That's very true. I love you. I love you, too. You invited me up here. I'm just That's saying. That's true. I was in a band. We played, like, 30 bars that summer. That was a whole other life. Uh, looking for love in all the wrong places. Um, then my baby sister, Beth... Wave your hand, Beth. She's in the room. Yes, she loves attention. Is getting married. I'm like, oh my word. My little sister is getting married before me. I'm not even dating anyone. And so I go to the wedding thinking, oh, maybe this is a good spot to find someone. And 
lo and behold, Kristen is a bridesmaid there. And I was like, oh, Kristen grew up. There's no more back brace and no more braces. Uh Uh-huh. And so I kind of schemed it so that she had to give me a ride back to my car after the wedding. And I was like, yes, timing is perfect. And I started pursuing Kristen. Now, Kristen, share it from your point of view. So I had just... I had just uh, come through my sophomore year of college and had had many crushes on many different very nice guys who I'm friends with on Facebook and I love their wives and that's wonderful. But I had kind of come through a season of just feeling like this is pointless. No one's pursuing me. Why do I spend my time emotionally dreaming about these different guys? So I had committed to myself. I'm just, I'm going to be a resident assistant this year. I'm going to be the leader on my hall of 32 freshman ladies, and I'm going to pour into them, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to date. It's going to be great. I'm just going to forget about all that, and I'm going to, I'm going to invest in these women that God had put before me. And um, let's see, it was October 4th. I went to Elizabeth's wedding, and this guy starts pursuing me, asks me out uh, to a movie that night, and we talked all night. That's a whole other story. But I was not looking for it at that point. I had kind of said, that's it, I'm done. I'm gonna focus on other things. And I know that sounds cliche, like, oh, once I decided to focus on God, a man walked into my life. But it's truly what happened for me. And um, I, I, I really was not looking to date. I was kind of like, what, now? Why now? I don't want it now, I don't have time. But clearly God had a better plan than I did. Yeah. So we started dating, and what I wanna talk about is that pursuit uh, today, we're going to talk about is that to always, our goal is to always pursue your two. And we'll get into that in a minute. But when we started dating, you know, the principle of life is that we always pursue what we don't have. We always pursue what we don't have. If you're at a place in life where you want to get healthy, like it won't just happen by accident. You have to pursue it. If you are looking for love, it's not just going to fall into your lap. You have to pursue it. We always pursue what we don't have. But what happens so often is that once we get it, we stop pursuing it. So when Chris and I were dating, I was living in Robbinsdale in an apartment. She was at Northwestern College as an RA. And because I was pursuing Kristen, man, I would go out of my way to, you know, woo her, to do things, to try to win her love. And so she'd call me like, oh, I'm so stressed out from school and I'd be an RA. And I'd be like, I'm getting in my car. It's 11 o'clock at night or whatever. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to take you to Perkins for some pancakes because that makes everything better, right? It does. Uh, and so, so, you know, I would do things like that. Uh, there's a season, you know, where I kind of changed the way I dress, things like that, because I thought that would make things better. It turns out it didn't. Turns out I told him last night, you should never have taken your earrings out. I loved your earrings. Why did you change that about yourself? And he thought he was just making himself preppy for me because that's what I wanted. Wasn't what I wanted. Yeah. So, but we do silly <laughs> things when we're in love. How many of you guys have done anything stupid or silly in love pursuing someone? Yeah, yeah. So maybe in your small groups you can share that. Like, what was the silliest thing that you did, you know, in love? But what so happens is that we, we pursue what we, we don't have. Um, but what happens, Kristen, you know, when we wake up one day and you've been married for 13 years and... What happens with life? Suddenly you've had someone for 13 years and you forget to pursue them. And honestly, in our circumstance too, Eric pursued so well and so full on (laughs) that I never learned the art of pursuing him. So I feel like that's something 13 years in, 15 years into our relationship that I'm still figuring out what it looks like for a wife to pursue her husband. He 
did very well pursuing me early on, and that's something that has kind of gotten lost, and now I'm realizing, okay, I need to do it too. It's not just his job to pursue. You had no idea I was going to say this. But um, I think the pursuit does have to come from both sides, and it's, it's hard to remember to do that once you've had each other for a while. That's true. Uh, so if you were with us last week, we're going through these relationship goals and we learned that our number one goal is that God will be my first priority and my spouse is my second. We said for those of you who are single, the challenge is to pursue God, your one, while waiting for your two. To pursue the one while waiting for your two. Don't lose sight of, of your relationship with God while you're waiting on God to bring that person into your life. Those of us who are married, to put our priorities right. We talked last week how we have to protect the priorities or things easily get out of whack. Um, work, our kids will rise up and how the right kind of jealousy is a good kind of jealousy. That God gets jealous for our attentions when he's not number one. And when we get jealous of our spouse because they're spending too much time with, their ki- with the kids or with friends, it's actually a good jealousy because our spouse needs to be number two. So we said last week that God is my one and my spouse is my two. Well, this week, our goal is that to always pursue my two, to always pursue my two. Uh, Kristen, you want to read yeah. Genesis 2.24? So in Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one, f- one flesh. So when a man leaves his father and mother, he reprioritizes his relationships. It's no longer about the family, the parents. It's about the spouse and how to can become one. So God is number one, and the spouse is now number two in that relationship, and, and the man and the wife become united. And that's that biblical concept of coming together. Yeah. You know, we don't always or very often go back into like Hebrew word studies or, or Greek word studies, but I do think one word in here is really good. And in the original language, Genesis was written in Hebrew, that word to hold fast is the word davik, davik. Uh, it means to cling or stay with, to be joined together. It also means to pursue, pursue closely, to pursue closely, or to pursue hard with affection and devotion. Davik. They were united as one flesh. Um, the amazing thing about Hebrew is their words are a little different than ours. It's more like a story or a picture. So I just want to uh, give you a couple times in Scripture where that same word is used. So Psalm 68, sorry, 63.8 translates Davik this way. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul clings to you. Job 41.17, they are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. Genesis 31.23, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. So this word that we'll be joined together is one where you can see where we're, we're clinging together, we are, we're joined, we are pursuing each other as we become one flesh. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is, is a beautiful story of pursuit. Uh, our first year as a church, we went through the book of Genesis and we talked about uh, Jacob and, and what a crazy story Jacob had. And we find out that Jacob actually had a pair of sister wives. He was married to two sisters. There was Leah, the older sister, and there was Rachel, the younger sister. And the Bible says that Rachel had a lovely figure, that she was beautiful, and Leah needed glasses. 
Like that's, that's how the Bible describes it. How would you like that in the Bible? If one sister is like, she's hot, the other one is like, she's got weak eyes, she needs glasses. Like that's kind of sad, right? Well, that's, um, but what I love about the story of, of Rachel and Leah is that actually Jesus comes from the line of Leah, not from Rachel, and God picks what others reject. And you can go back and hear those podcasts if you want from two years ago. But in the Bible, it says that Leah, you know, she had a great personality while her sister was the good-looking one. Uh, but Jacob loved the younger sister. And so he came to, uh, to her, her dad and was like, hey, I want to I marry her. And so he's pursuing her. And the dad said, well, if you want her, you have to work for me for seven years. So he has to work for his father-in-law for seven years before he can finally pursue and, and win Rachel. In the Bible, I love what it says. It says it was like as if it was just like a day had passed. The time was nothing to him. And he spent this time pursuing, working hard for her because he loved her so much. And then they get married. But her dad is a trickster and he tricks Jacob and he swaps the sisters after the wedding ceremony. So can you imagine? Jacob wakes up and instead of hot Rachel, it's Leah who needs her glasses in the morning. Like, that's what happens. You can read it in the Bible. And Jacob's like, what did you do? And Laban, his father-in-law, is like, well, this is our culture not to marry off the older sister or the younger sister before the older sister, so you need to marry both. And he's like, what? But he says, all right, you finish up your honeymoon week with Leah, and then I'll give you the younger sister with Rachel. And what a lot of people think then is that then Jacob had to work another seven years before he was married to Rachel. But actually what happened was that then he got to be married to Rachel right then after a week. But even after he was married to her, even after he got his prize, the Bible says he, he worked hard for seven more years for Rachel. And I think the story is a beautiful story of pursuit, that he pursued her, he worked hard before he was married to Rachel, and then even afterwards, he continued to work hard, he continued to pursue her for seven years, even after they were married. And I love that. For seven years, he worked gladly for her, even though he had received that gift. And I believe that's the heart of what God wants for our relationships, is that even after we're married, that we'd say our goal is to always pursue my two, that husbands, we pursue our wives, our two, that wives, you pursue your husbands, your two. Davik, they were united as one hand. But, what's so, but what happens so often is that we pursue what we're dating, and then we're stopped. And if you're dating right now, I just want to speak to those of you who aren't married. If you're dating someone and they're not pursuing you, that's not going to change if you get married. So if, if the pursuit is not happening now, if you don't feel wooed and guy or girl, um, that's not going to change. So that's something to really think about. You are worth the pursuit. You are worth someone how do I cry all the time? <laughs> when I'm speaking truth, I cry. You are worth the pursuit. You are worth waiting for that person who is going to pursue you and woo you and drive through a blizzard from Plymouth to Rosedale or Roseville because you're freaked out about college and need him. That's what you deserve. That is what you are worth. That is what God wants for you. So if you are in a relationship right now that is less than that, you need to have some really serious thoughts and <laughs> conversations with yourself about whether or not this is the right person. And if you're not with someone right now, if you're waiting for that two to come along, maybe you had the two at one point and something bad happened and, and you're no longer together, I just, I just really want to encourage you, like, 
I've never been there. I don't know what that's like. I can't speak to that personally. But I do know that God's plan is the best. God's plan is the best plan. So he has someone out there. Don't sign up for all the dating sites and, and spend all your time pining for people out there. I mean, sign up for one if you want and prayerfully consider that. But I would just encourage you to rest in the Lord. Rest in him and his goodness and his timing and his faithfulness and know that he will bring you that too if that is the best plan that he has for you in his time. Amen. You know, those of us who are married, I think none of us get married thinking at the altar, all right, now that we're married, I'm going to stop pursuing my spouse. And, you know, I hope in seven years that we're getting divorced and I just see the kids on the weekend and we divide up half our stuff, right? We have really good intentions when we start. <laughs> exactly. Super good intentions. And you just have to be so intentional about it. And it's easy to get wrapped up in having kids or moving jobs or crossing state, like moving around the country. And all of a sudden you forget the good intentions that you had on the altar that day. But this week I was thinking a lot about that, those intentions that we have and how so often we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. Isn't that true? Say that again. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. We think, well, you know what? I, I intended to write this love letter for Kristen, or I intended to take the trash out or fill a car up with gas. So, you know, it's the thought that counts. But, you know, I don't give her that credit. Like, when she has good intentions to do something for me, no, what do I care about? It's the actions. But so often, we judge ourselves by, by one measure, and we judge others by another measure. And so we may have good intentions. You may intend to keep pursuing your spouse, and you can make excuses to say, you know, you know what, we're just too busy. It works right now. There's no way that we can plan a date night. And we say, hey, if you're in a small group, you can drop your kids off at their house so you can have a date night, and then the next week, swap or figure something out. But don't just say, well, I have good intentions and we'll get to it. We need to actually make good goals and they need to be specific, they need to be measurable, they need to be actionable, otherwise we won't actually do it. And so if we want to get specific, we have to say, okay, God, you are my one, my spouse is my two. That's my first goal. Second goal is to always pursue my two. Next week, Justin Rihanna, are you up here talking about how our goal of partnering in our purpose, which I'm excited about that. But right now, I just want to give a little practical before we, we wrap things up on how, instead of just having good intentions to always pursue my two, how can we actually do that? And so if you're taking notes this morning, uh, I just want to give you a couple quick things. Number one, that when you think something good, say it. When you think something good, say it. Hebrews 3.13 says this, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. If you want to keep the deceitfulness of sin out of your marriage, one of the ways you can do that is to encourage each other daily. Every time you think something good about your spouse, say it. Kristen, you look really nice today. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So do you. Thank you. Okay. You know, why would we want to rob our spouse of that feeling of encouragement. But so often we just kind of feel silly or it's like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter or what are they gonna think? But no, I wanna encourage you. If you think something good, say it to your spouse. This is the idea of words of affirmation. One thing, guys, we can do and ladies is that say, hey, I love you, you know, and then add on why. Kristen, I love you and I love it when you make a pot roast for lunch 
for, uh, you know, well, in the pressure cooker or whatever it might be. Okay. I, I love you, babe, and I love it, you know, that you are such a good mom. You know, when you add that thing, it really helps to, to say this is what I love. And guys, I want to I encourage you to pursue your wife with words of affection and non-sexual affection, okay? And some of you guys are like, I don't even know what that means, all right? <laughs> So what does that mean? Let me explain it to you. Uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's saying, you know, like, you look so nice. I love your hair, your eyes, you know, whatever it might be. Because, you know, guys, we can make anything sexual, right? It's just a talent we have. Okay, wives, your husband is not perverted. But it's like, you know, it's like, hey, honey, will you do the dishes? It's like, I'll do your dishes. It's like, you know, we need to rotate the tires. Like, I'll rotate your tires. You know, and it's like. He does do this all the time. It's true. Like, it's just a gift we have. It's like. It's like, babe, I'm so excited to see you preach. Yeah, I'll preach for you. You know, that's just what we do, guys. That's just naturally that comes to us. It's okay. But we want to show words of affection to our wives that are non-sexual. A couple things. Uh, In general, wives want to know, do you love me today? Do you love me today? Guys want to know, do you believe in me today? Wives want to hear that you love them. They want to know that today you love them. And guys, we want to hear from our spouses that our wife believes in us, that, that we are going to support the family, that we are going to lead the family. And so those are ways we can use our words. Number two. Hold up. Okay. Example. <laughs> yeah. Eric recently posted on Facebook. Many of you see his posts on Facebook. I'm never on Facebook. <laughs> that he likes candles. I had no idea the man liked candles. It's true. Truly like 15 years of a relationship, and I had no idea how much he loves candles. I kept so it a I, secret. I, he kept it a secret. So I lit a candle yesterday. I intentionally lit a candle, and he says to me, thank you for lighting that candle. Honestly, that meant so much to me because I, no <laughs> I noticed something that he put out there for the world. You know, he didn't just tell me. He told everybody. <laughs> something we're working on. Um, <laughs> That he likes candles. I remembered that in my busyness, in my craziness, in my, you know, my life, who I am, scattered and crazy. Uh, I grabbed a lighter and lit a candle. And that, like, took intention for me to do that. But then him then noticing that and verbally saying thank you was, like, just, it completed the circle. It was really cool. And what a great segue to our next point. I know. I didn't even mean to do that. That when you think something special, do it. (laughs) That when you think about doing something special for your spouse, do it. James 4.17. Even if it's just lighting a candle. Uh, James 4.17 says this. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now that's kind of heavy, but the truth is that when we withhold doing good for our spouse, the Bible says that's sin. And so when you think about doing something good for your spouse, I want to encourage you to do it. There's acts of service, lighting a candle, gift giving, uh, physical touch, all those things. Uh, guys, if you have little babies at home, one of the most romantic things you can do is give those dirty kids a bath. You wash them up. You know, do the dishes. Take out the trash. Help the kids get to bed. That's very romantic, right? Send her flowers. Uh, what else can husbands do for wives, and what can wives do for their husbands? Ooh, um... Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> you didn't tell me. I know, that. I know, That's I know. really on the spot. Yeah. I think one thing, wives, um, if you're anything like me, how many of you ladies have like a shower cycle? Like you kind of know how many days you can go using the dry shampoo and the ponytail and it culminates with a hat. You know, like you've got the shower cycle. 
So one thing that I've been trying to do more often is take a shower, even when I don't feel like I need to yet, just so that I feel fresh and clean Amen. for my husband before he comes home, because it just, it opens doorways. I'll just leave it at that. When I feel fresh and clean. So uh, that's one thing from the wife's side of things. I encourage you to shower more. Preach it. <laughs> and why is if your husband needs to shower more? Give him a nudge. That's okay. That's fine. Uh, number three, that when you want something different, be it. When you want something different, be it. Be the change that you want to see in the world. Be the change that you want to see in your relationship. Revelation 2.5 says this, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This is Jesus talking to a church, but I think it's applicable for our relationships. And I think what this is saying is don't complain about what your spouse isn't. Become who God wants you to become. You want something different in your relationship? Do it. If you want what you once had, you have to do what you once did. If you want that connection and that intimacy and that closeness that you had when you were dating or those first years of marriage and you've drifted, instead of just complaining about it, instead of just griping about it, we have to do what we did back then. And can I add something? Yeah. If you never had that, if you're sitting here and you're in a marriage and you're saying, oh, I've never had that. I didn't have someone who pursued me and my spouse and I, we got married because it's what was expected of us and now here we are, how do we fix that? Well, in the, the same principle applies in the sense of if you want something you've never had, you gotta change something, right? So if you've never had that pursuit and that connection and that intimacy before, then something's gonna have to change. So sitting down either by yourself or with your spouse and talking about, okay, what steps can we take? What baby steps can we start working toward to increase and, and build an intimacy that maybe we've never had before? Yep, yep. Instead of complaining about what your spouse isn't, you know, Try pursuing what God has for you. If you feel like maybe your spouse is on their phone all the time and you're being very jealous, instead of, I heard a pastor talk about this once. He said that he was on his phone, he was working all the time. And instead of his wife complaining about it, what she did was she was very intentional. She turned off her phone and would like leave it in their bedroom and then was fully present with their kids. And he said after a little bit of time, he noticed it that he was constantly drawn down to his phone, but he'd see his wife fully present with their kids and at home, and eventually, and she didn't even say anything to him, that he started doing the same thing. And so a lot of times, instead of just complaining, is that we can lead the way in that. And, um, you know, a lot of us, too, we talk about how we just, we just slowly drift. And if you, ladies, if you would like your husband to lead the way more spiritually, instead of using your words to say, Hey, what he isn't, praise what he is. And because and, and, your words have so much power. If you wish your husband would, would pray more, you know, maybe next time at Thanksgiving dinner when he like prays out loud, you know, just kind of walk up to him and like, whisper in his ear like, babe, that was so hot when you, when you prayed out loud. You know, I guarantee you next mealtime he's gonna be praying out loud, right? Or like when he takes the effort to like, you know, get the whole family to church, just, hey, thank you so much for bringing our family to church and for leading that way. You know, praise him for those small steps that he's taking. Same thing, husbands, with your wives. Like, if you want to see some kind of changes and if you're tired of, you know, how she's dressed or something, you know, praise her when she is dressed up or when she does take a shower or, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> hey, that's so great you took a shower. I love it, you know. We do more good 
by praising the good rather than cursing at the bad. Um, and I just want to encourage you this week to spend some time, uh, if you're married, if you're in a relationship, and really talking about this. You know, what, what are our, last week we talked about what are our priorities, and then to say, how can I pursue you better? How can I be fully present with you, getting rid of the distractions of our phones? Um, ladies, we've talked about this a lot with guys. A lot of times we have a tough time with face-to-face communication. That's just the way we're wired. We do better side by side. So maybe, you know, if you're having a tough time, wives connecting with your husbands because he's looking around or something, you know, plan a long road trip or something where you can sit side by side. That's, guys just do better that. Or, you know, go to your favorite restaurant or something. And if you're at like the bar or something, you can sit side by side. And a lot of times guys will connect better that way. But guys, what can you do to connect with your spouse? You know, it's putting your phone away. It's putting your hand on her shoulder or her knee. Um, any other thoughts putting you on the spot? You know, how can couples, you know, be fully present with each other? I mean, this week, um, if they want to see more intimacy, if they want to pursue each other more, just from a wife's perspective, how can, how can husbands do a better job of saying, I'm fully present, I'm listening to you? Yeah, I think that um, at the dinner table, when Eric chooses to engage our kids in conversation, and, and me as well, and has an, I can tell he has an intentional plan, like he's asking them specific questions or being goofy with them. Like that actually increases our intimacy from my standpoint because I appreciate the fact that he's not on his phone or he's not just wanting to talk over the kids' heads to me because um, I feel that tension of like, no, we're with our kids right now. Like this is what we're doing right now. I don't want to talk about work. I don't want to talk about the church. I don't want to talk about what our plans are for next week. I want to be with our family and make those those intentional moments happen. So when he chooses to, to do that, so he's engaging with our kids, little does he know that's actually like helping our connection and my um, likelihood of responding to him well the next time he pursues me in a more like adult fashion. Um, so that just is one way that um, I've noticed him trying recently too to like make that family dinner an intentional thing. But also I think like during the day when he'll text me and just say, hey, how's your day going? Because he knows it's not always a great day. Or if he swings by home, I mean, some of you can't do that because you work downtown or something, but if he's able to swing by home and just check in or, or say, hey, if you're driving around, stop by Starbucks, come see me. Like that means a lot that he's willing to, oftentimes I'll drive by Starbucks and just like tell him we're out here. And he always comes out rain or shine to peek his head in and say hey to all the kids. And that just means the world to all of us. And so that helps our intimacy and our connection. I know it seems a little weird, but this is the phase of life we're in right now. So when he pursues us as a family, I feel pursued. Yeah. Good. All right, so what are we going to do? Number one, we're going to put God first and our spouse is going to be our two. Uh, second goal we're going to have is we're going to always pursue our two. How are we going to do that? And if we think something good this week, we're going to really try. We're going to say it out loud, as silly as it sounds. If we think it, we're going to say it if it's good, so we don't deprive our spouse of that. Number two, if we think of something special to do for our spouses, we're going to do it. And number three, that if we want to see change in our relationships, uh, in our lives, that we're going to be the change. We're going to say, what can I do to make a change, instead of just focusing on what the other person is failing in. All right, would you stand with me? We're going to close today uh, with prayer. And uh, thank you so much uh, for being here today. Uh, can you just give Kristen a hand for, for being up here? Thanks for sharing. I don't believe that anyone is here by accident. I believe that you are here for a reason and a purpose. 
And uh, uh, if you need someone to talk to, someone to pray with, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. We have other key leaders. You can talk to Kristen, uh, anything that you'd like to uh, pray for or talking with. Um, but as we go out of here today, again, I just want to encourage you to be intentional with your life. Um, you know, 50% of marriages, the statistics say, are going to end in divorce. And so we want to be vigilant. We want to protect what matters most, our relationships. And so if we want what most of the world isn't going to have, we have to do something different than what the rest of the world does. And so may you know this week that God loves you, that he wants to have a relationship with you. For those of you who are single, may you trust in your one while you wait for your two. And for those of us who are married, may we always pursue our two as we also pursue after God who loves us so much and is always pursuing us. Have a great week. Uh, We'll see you next Sunday.